Bonjour. Hola. Konnichiwa. Boo, I'm a dying ghost. That's an interesting, interesting response to um, me speaking different languages. <laughs> I think it's more just a comment on where my current capacity of brain power and existence is. Well, thank you for your contribution. I still appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. Oh my god, Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> and we are your ghostesses. That girl over there is Corinne. That you can't see. Hello. It, and this girl over here is Sabrina. And it's a dreary day in Los Angeles. I'm hungover. Sabrina's hungover. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining. If- if you didn't already sense that something was off this episode, <laughs> Sabrina's hungover. <laughs> I spent the night going back in time, visiting an era of disco roller skating, which my legs are so sore, by the way. Roller skating is no joke. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And it's a great workout. The amount of times, and I'm a good skater, I used to figure skate, but it's not me that I was worried about. It was other people that pulled me down. And I think it's a great metaphor for life. Where nothing's ever my fault, it's always someone else bringing me down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking, that's sarcasm. I love when you look so inwardly at yourself and really self-reflect and come to the conclusion that you're perfect. I went to a store that was such a feel-good store the other day. I walked in, I was going shopping (laughs) at the Burlington Mall, and I never go shopping, so I was already on in a mood, and then there was just this like beautiful brick opening to the store and there were these cement hanging plants with oh my like gosh. fake plants coming out but i was like oh this is gorgeous and there were chandeliers so i was like of course i'm gonna walk into this store and i walk in and the stuff was really cute and i was like looking around i grabbed a couple things of jewelry <laughs> i grabbed a shirt to try on and i went to the dressing room and i was like this is such a beautiful dressing room and then i was like i wonder if they know uh-huh. that the song that they're playing is a Christian song. It was like a Christian rock song. And then the next song came on, and that was also a Christian song. And I was like, do they know that they're playing Christian music? Maybe they don't. And then I walked out, and then I walked to the other side of the store to look at all their like little trinkets. And the journals were like, Jesus loves me. Oh my and it was like, faith. And I realized I went into a Christian store. But it was so cute. I'm totally going to go back. It's called Altered State. But everyone was so nice there. And I was like, oh, my God, am I going to become – well, I guess I'm already Catholic. But I was like, am I going to become a Christian? Like, I felt like this is the way that you get people to join your religion. It made me feel so good being in that store. And then I was like, I'm going to have a really Christian day. So then I went to go eat Chick-fil-A at the food court. What a day. But the line was too long. So I ate Japanese food instead. But anyway – You know, it goes back to really getting in touch with who you are and taking moments to reflect. And I think that store allowed you to do that. Altered State, everybody. It's from uh, Tennessee. (laughs) I asked. I asked. I was like, where are you from? Because I'm not used to saying very religious things up here in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's awesome. Grin, do you think you would um, be likely to join a cult? I was thinking that I didn't want to compare Christianity to a cult. No, I think it's just like your amazement by a thing. And then like it just the way you were talking about it was like, I could see Corinne joining a cult. Okay, I can see myself joining joining a cult too. But I also don't think I would be brainwashed. I think I would full on like join knowing like, well, I know that this is something, but I also like the way that they treat me. So I'm just going to stick it out. As long as I treat you well, and you'll just become the number two slowly 
and surely yeah. and then you kind of push out the number one because you realize you have better ideas and then yes, everyone's exactly bowing down to corinne that person goes missing and suddenly i'm like you know what we should do instead of doing what we were doing what? let's go create a dog sanctuary <laughs> and that <laughs> is how i build out my dream of old my old dog sunrise oh, living community facility this sounds like a nice cult that's the long-term plan that's my 10-year plan oh so you join the cult now and then over time slowly over 10 years it's a long con yeah if yeah <laughs> It is. It is. Oh, man. The big commitment. Big time commitment. Are you still going to have time for the podcast? Do they let me have Wi-Fi in this cult? Well, I guess if you're in the number two. If not, then I won't join. Yeah. It might. I mean, you'll have to join like a cult that really worships Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi cult. <gasps> it's going to be like, it's the internet gods. Praise be. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch Ted Bundy yet? I started. I watched part of the first episode uh, it was it's good i mean i would continue if i had more time but the thing is is i tried to watch it at at the gym mm -hmm. which i was like you know what this is really a show that i want to sit down and have nothing else to do i right. don't want to be looking forward and just half listening i want to take in every single frame of video yeah, and there so were, i was like okay there are multiple times where we paused it and rewound it and listened back and then like paused on his face because he is just maniacal yes yeah so i haven't finished it because i really want to focus on it and really digest it right so right i haven't had time but you finished it right i finished it yep yeah i i feel like and and then i watched the trailer for the shockingly I can't remember the title. It's a weird title. I know it's what Ted Bundy said, but or that people said about him. But I, I feel like it's a hard title to remember. The Zac Efron movie. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know what it's called. I just call it the Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. <laughs> yeah, but he looks so much like Ted Bundy. It's, it's scary. I love Zac Efron. Me too. He's really kind of overcome a lot of different genres of television. He's a great actor. Like he he started at Disney High School Musical and then he jumped high into school musical. comedy. And well, then he did seven wasn't it seventeen again? Yeah, and then That and, one was a little more serious. Uh, but it was a comedy. Yeah. But then oh, what was that other one? He did that really sad one. Was it was he on a boat and he was sailing? Oh, I don't know. Am I mixing up him and some other actor and giving <laughs> him credit? I don't know. Oh my gosh, it was so sad he like died. Oh, that's very okay. He's done some serious ones, though. right? He and now, has. now he's going real serious and playing a serial killer. Like I think, I think that is a true testament to him as an actor. And if he wanted to meet me, I would not be opposed. <laughs> <laughs> if he asked to to meet you, yeah, because that's if likely. he happens to know who you are. Actually, you know who else did that was, what? and I'm blanking on his name, um, but he was in Austin and Allie on Disney Channel. Oh my God! What is his name? Uh, Ross Ross Lynch. I feel he like started you, on Disney. You reference Austin and Allie a lot, and I don't know what that show is. Okay, well, it's just because he played. Um, <laughs> I can't remember anything now. My brain is going mush. <laughs> he played. Oh my God! What is what's that? He's this prolific serial killer. He murdered a ton of men. Oh, Jeffrey oh, Dahmer. Guy. 
Jeffrey Dahmer. He he played Jeffrey Dahmer in My Friend Dahmer. So oh. he went from Disney to serial killer as well. Maybe there's a trend. Uh, all Disney. Are Disney actors yeah. meant to be serial killers? Yeah. Is this going to be our cult? Can we start theorizing these things? It might be. Conspiracies. Oh, I like this. We're going to breed Disney Channel stars who are all going to play really cutesy roles in Disney and then go on to become serial killer actors. Oh, I like the I like the side that you took because I was thinking like we would have this cult and it would almost be like a Charles Manson type thing where we have all <laughs> these people who are like doing our bidding for us and against all the Disney actors, but you're saying that we actually breed them. We Yeah. We raise them and send them off. Yeah, exactly. We bring them to their auditions. We'll be stage moms. Oh my and gosh. That's how okay. we get our reality show that we so wanted forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was voted most likely to be in a reality TV show when I was in high school. It was my senior superlative. Were so you? I was. Oh my gosh, Sabrina. It's coming full circle. Was it was it like one guy and one girl would be voted? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait. Before we jump into the real purpose of being here, which is our topic and our ghost stories, I have to say, because this is the most exciting thing that happened to me all week, I so I'm going to New York next week, or this week, I guess I'll be in New York when this episode comes out, to be on set for Blind Spot, which for the episode I wrote, and mm-hmm. Bill Nye the Science Guy is in it, and he said, my script is cool. Oh my god, that is the coolest thing! I know, I like kind of died. You made it. You can just quit I now. Know. I can't wait to. I really hope I get to meet him. I okay. That was going to be my next question. I was going to say, did he tell you indirectly, or did he yeah. call you and say this is cool? It was indirectly. Well, so he's going to be on set, right? Cause yeah, I think he... um, I'm on set for three days, and then I'm there for the weekend, but. I think of the three days, he's scheduled to work one of them. So chances are I will meet him. Wait, Bill Nye the science guy is in Blindspot? Yeah, he plays Patterson's dad as Bill Nye. So he plays himself. So I wrote lines for Bill Nye the science guy. That is the coolest thing in the world. It's so cool. Wow. Childhood coming all back around. I know. You know, he used to teach you things and now you're teaching him things. (laughs) He's still teaching me every day. <laughs> Bill, 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 no, the science guy. Bill, uh, Bill, Bill. That like sends sh- shivers down my spine because it makes me so happy. Did you ever watch it in school? Oh, the oh, best days when they would just the roll the TV in and yeah. they'd say, it's a Bill, not a science guy. Oh, uh, day, the best. And you were like, I love school. <laughs> I want to come time. back again tomorrow. Are you open on Saturdays? <laughs> this week. This week. We are talking about. On two girls, one ghost. We're getting scary. We cover haunted, creepy, violent, dark towns. Towns, 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 towns. Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> haunted towns. I loved this topic. Me too. I'm so excited. I'm ready to go. Okay, what'd you do? Okay, well, I che- I cheated. What'd you do? Why? I'm doing the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> Amazing. 
Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Jill, my roommate, watched the documentary with me. And while we were watching the documentary, she'd be like, you have to talk about this. You have to talk about this. And she was like Googling things on her own computer as we were watching. Like, what's oh that? Gosh. What's this? It's fascinating. All right. So realistically, I could talk for five hours straight about this topic because there's so so much more that I don't have time to cover because we do try to keep our episodes a little shorter than five hours to make them more digestible. <laughs> but I encourage everyone to research this yourself, to watch the documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle, which is free on Amazon Prime and learn more about this freaky deaky place. Freaky so, deaky. I'm Bridgewater. excited. I'm super excited too. Okay. So I cheated because... It's the Bridgewater Triangle encompasses many, many towns, but it's basically centered around Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Right. Whoa, Massachusetts, <laughs> which is a it's south of Boston. It's probably like 30, 45 minutes south of Boston. And it's so the whole triangle basically is the southeast section of Massachusetts. Whoa, that's a and massive it, area. It's huge. And this this area came on the map for me when I was uh, – well, when I first moved to Massachusetts a couple of years ago, people had been referencing Bridgewater and the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm -hmm. And I had a professor in grad school who actually taught down there. And I asked if he saw any of, like, the cryptids, like – because there's a bunch of cryptozoology and stuff. And he said no, but you do get the vibe that things are weird <gasps> down there. Oh, I love that. I know. I get so excited every time <laughs> someone mentions it. I got a road trip down there in the summer. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've ever been. Nope, but I will. You will. Once the road's clear of snow. Bridgewater is the main town in the middle of this triangle, and the triangle encompasses about 200 square miles of land and a bunch of other towns like Brockton, Taunton, Abingdon, and just a bunch of other hard-to-pronounce towns, <laughs> as Massachusetts does. So, this area, this triangle, was defined by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman back in the 1970s. He moved from California over to Boston area and did a, a little bit of research in the area. And he actually wrote a book called Mysterious America, which is where he coined the term the Bridgewater Triangle. And it sort of started for him because he noticed that Bridgewater and then the two towns, East Bridgewater and West Bridgewater, were kind of in a triangle formation and a bunch of stuff was happening there. And then upon further investigation, he realized that the triangle was actually much, much bigger and it extended all around Bridgewater to all of these surrounding towns. And yeah. they've since realized that it's while the triangle, a lot happens within the triangle, there are plenty of things that happen just like around. It's almost like a blob. I would say it's a kidney bean now. You know? <laughs> wow. The Bridgewater kidney bean. You know, it doesn't have the same um, ring to it as the Bridgewater triangle does. I guess that's why I don't coin the term <laughs> haunted locations. No one's called me and asked me to do it. And maybe this is why. Yeah. You know? So Lauren, he's the one that's really responsible for coining the term or basically naming that area the Bridgewater Triangle. And mm -hmm. he actually opened a cryptozoology museum that's open to the public. It's located in Portland, Maine, which is now another thing to do on my to-do list. I have to go. Wow. I guess he's got a bunch of evidence and like footprint molds and stuff no of all way. these <gasps> animals. Yeah, it's I'm crazy super... that he did all this investigating like himself. And I'm sure other people have had experiences, but like he went in the field and did a deep dive. That's awesome. 
Oh, yeah. So many people do. It's a very, so this is a very popular travel destination for paranormal experts because it's not just ghosts over here. Oh, yeah. This area is ripe with all sorts of paranormal activity. If you're looking for ghosts, you will find them. If you're looking for poltergeists, you can find them. UFOs, yes. Bigfoot, yes. Thunderbirds, yes. Murder, yes. Balls of fire, yes. Bridgewater has it all. Yeah, it's a one-stop shop for cryptids. I've got about eight pages left of notes to tell you. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'll try to go through as fast as I can. And this is only basically scraping the surface of the stuff that happens here. You know what? If only I could tell you everything. You're going to have to do a whole other podcast where you document yourself going into the kidney bean. and My deep dive into the Bridgewater kidney bean. (laughs) (laughs) I would listen to that. Yeah, Discovery Channel should probably pick up the show. I'm into it. Send me in, folks. This is one thing I'd be excited to investigate. Okay, so first up, we are going to Hockamock Swamp. This is the largest swampland in all of New England, and it's just under 17,000 acres. It is home to many different animals and plant species, and there are at least 13 rare or endangered species of animals and plants in this swampland. And maybe we can add one more to account for our dear friend, Bigfoot, because this is the spot for Bigfoot or a a family of Bigfoots. A family of Bigfoots? Well, I'm I'm only making the most logical step from one Bigfoot to multiple because they have to reproduce. There's families, you know? Right. There's not one Bigfoot that has lived for thousands of years that I mean, wanders we, everywhere. It, he, there could be. There could be. But I'm going to guess that it's like any other animal and they reproduce and there's multiple. Right. So when they're seeing one, it doesn't mean it's always the same one. Right. Okay. So this spot is popular for Bigfoot. They think because the land is very dense, it's pretty difficult for people to navigate and to explore through. It's like th- thick thicketed brush and i mean it's swampland you can't just easily canoe through the majority of it so um it's mostly left alone which would be great for any sort of animals that don't want to be in contact with humans right and there have been quite a few sightings of bigfoot in this area which may have contributed to the name that colonial settlers gave it which was devil's swamp But they aren't really that clever in coming up with their name because before the settlers came, the Native American tribe who had lived in that area before named it Hockamock, which means the place where spirits dwell. So some people think the Bridgewater Triangle is so ripe with this paranormal activity due to actually a Native American curse. So we're going to go back in time a little bit before we explore more about Bigfoot. In the late 1670s, the Native American tribes decided to rebel and try to take back their land from all of the colonizers who had come to Massachusetts. And this chief, Metacom, also known as King Philip, he sort of spearheaded this crusade and was like, kill the colonizers! And so (laughs) they all went, well, not all of them, but basically this whole war started and it was called King Philip's War. And it didn't fare so well for the Native Americans. A few thousand of them died in the war. I think actually 3,000 of them. And then only about 500 or so colonial settlers died. So far more Native Americans perished in this fight than did the colonial settlers. And actually at the time, 
having 3,500 people die in Massachusetts accounted for 5% of the total population. So 5% of Massachusetts residents died from this war. Jeez. Which is a pretty big chunk. I mean, granted, 3,500 is a lot. But, you know, towards the end of the war, what happened was one of the Native American chiefs, he tried to surrender, hoping that... And it was agreed that no more Native Americans would be would experience bloodshed if they surrendered, that they'd be able to just go on peacefully. They would just part ways. But Which instead, means, does that mean like they'd push them out of their land? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. They were just like, let us go. We don't want to die. We'll just whatever you take it. We'll run. Mm. That's so sad. Yeah, but it didn't it didn't even go that way. It went worse. So this chief of the Native American tribe, he was beheaded. And then after after surrendering, surrendering, he was beheaded. His head was put on a stake for all to see for the next 20 years. His wife and his child and many, many, many more Native Americans were actually captured and made slaves. It's horrible. So horrible. But it's like, when has when have you heard a story about early America and Native <laughs> Americans true. and it ever and even now? Yeah. And it going well. That's true. It doesn't. It's never a happy ending. We're all horrible. Which is so sad. Yeah. They think that perhaps, or people speculate that because of this massive bloodshed and all of the wrongdoing towards Native Americans at this time, that maybe the Native Americans had placed a curse on this land. And that is why the Bridgewater Triangle has so many weird goings on about it. Or the mm. other side believes that maybe this is just one more strange thing to happen in this area and that things were already happening preceded this event. I mean, okay. I would curse the land if that happened to me. If I had the ability right. to do so, I would. But while I understand a curse might might explain some of like the paranormal in terms of like ghostly or spiritual feelings and experiences it doesn't explain all of the other random crap that happens there so let's go back to bigfoot okay it's thought that the bigfoot population they think that the bigfoot population in this area mostly minds their own business but there's been a few occasions where people have come in contact with Bigfoot, and some of them were not so peaceful. In the 1970s, there was a bad egg Bigfoot, and this Bigfoot ran rampant and ventured out of the swampland and into neighboring farmland, and he killed many sheep, killed a bunch of pigs. And so police were like, what the heck? And at the time, they didn't realize it was a Bigfoot and they thought it was just an odd acting bear that was walking upright and was kind of weird and bizarre. And right. so they went in with their canines and like walked all through the swamp and were trying to track down this bear to kill the bear. But then a police officer was sitting in his cruiser and he spotted this bear-like creature coming up behind his car. And then oh the gosh. animal grabbed the bottom of the back of his car and lifted the car up and down. Oh, my God. So the front wheels were the only ones touching the ground. And the guy was just in his car. And the back was being like up and down, up and down. And so he was scared to death. Yeah. And that is when they realized it's not just a bear. Whoa. Yes. It kind of reminds me of the New Jersey Devil a little bit, just in terms of a creature that hides in the woods and then kills and slaughters animals. And then, mm -hmm. but no one's really, like people have had sightings, but not really, you know, there's no proof. Right. 
in just like just like with people there are some bad people and plenty of good people and the same probably goes for bigfoot like this was just one incident where the bigfoot came out and was aggressive in an area where they were not so welcome otherwise all of the sightings have pretty much been in that area just in the swampland just a bigfoot passing by yeah but the interesting thing about this is that a lot of the strange creatures and odd phenomena in this area it's witnessed by credible sources. So it's not just these people that are seeing things and they're going into being like, I saw Lake Monster and like <laughs> trying to get famous. Yeah. A lot of it's law enforcement. There are wildlife park rangers. There are people just from the general public who are like, don't, don't include my name. Don't, I don't want fame. Like, just leave me out of it. You can use my account. But like, I'm just telling you this because something cr- creepy is happening and you right. need to look into it. So that almost increases the credibility credibility because it's not just one or two people being like trying to fake a bigfoot sighting or like you know get famous so let's look into more of the sightings of bigfoot my favorite topic western bridgewater resident he's since passed away r.i.p john baker he encountered bigfoot in the hockamock swamp while he was fur trapping he was in a boat on the swamp and then he noticed and kind of sensed that there was something tracking him and he noticed this really large figure that was following him through the tree line and so he moved his boat to go down a small creek to see if the thing would follow him and it did and he knew it wasn't human not just because of its size but also because of its smell he said it was really skunky and musty and overwhelming and he could smell it all the way from inside of his boat on the water and the thing was further away in the woods and it eventually moved on and left john alone but he was very confused about what he witnessed and was pretty convinced that it was a bigfoot Mm. not far from hockamock swamp in bridgewater are two small ponds they're called clay banks one and clay banks two and joseph deandre was with his friend in the late 1970s And he said that suddenly, and he was like, I don't want people to think that I just hear voices. I definitely don't hear voices. But he said, for some reason, on this day, a voice entered his head and told him to turn around and look across the pond. And so he did what he was told. And he saw a large, hairy-looking creature, almost like a man, but much too large to be a man, standing on two feet and walking away from the water's edge. So he didn't get to see the face. but. He did see the body. And so he signaled for his friend to look, but it was too late. The thing was already gone. So only he had caught a glimpse of this creature. But this time, DeAndre was like, DeAndre, whatever, was like, okay, well, he basically obsessed over it. And so he wasn't really just one of the people who was like, okay, I saw something weird. Now I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Instead, he was like, I have to find this thing again. I have to prove that what I saw is real. Oh my gosh. So I he, wonder I, I wonder what that voice was and like who and what for what reason like wanted him to see this creature because it's clear like whoever this voice was coming from it's like this is your meaning and purpose right now. You need to hunt this thing down and find it. Not hunt it. Search for it. Well, yeah. But also, okay, here's a little theory that I have and it's based on you know what? I don't know which podcast it was, but there was a whole episode on Bigfoot and there was a woman who was telepathically communicating, she said, telepathically communicating with a family of Bigfoot. So I wonder if perhaps the voice was from the Bigfoot oh. itself planting oh. that in his mind to be like, we are real and kind of, I don't know if it was to be like, we're real, tell everyone or like, 
this is where this is our land like now you see that i'm here leave us alone oh my god yeah because i like i I feel like when i hear of bigfoot i think of a fiercely private entity just someone who doesn't want any attention right yeah i mean clearly it's not like they're just walking up and down the road every day right like hi ho to ho no how do you what is that from hi ho to ho i don't know you say it a lot hi ho to ho it's from something, and I don't remember what, but I'm sure someone will be able to tell yes. me as soon as this comes out. <laughs> okay, so so DeAndre was like, I gotta figure out what this is. So he definitely didn't take it as a warning sign that he shouldn't go back there. Instead, he created the Bridgewater Triangle Expedition Team, the, the BTET, and they gathered more members. They all got guns, they got cameras, and they had a whole lot of heart and hope, and they walked back into the swamplands, into the woods, trying to track down Bigfoot, trying to find any sort of evidence that what he saw was a a real thing. But they found absolutely nothing. And so after years of nothing coming up and after Mm. years of people dropping out of this expedition team, they finally officially disbanded. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. There was a a group of, of younger people children i guess <laughs> teenagers they saw bigfoot as well they walked a little ways into the woods to play and one of them yelled and they all looked up and saw what they described as a very large scary man and so they all turned around and bolted for the street and then to their own homes and then that following monday after the weekend of playing they all gathered on the school bus and realized that they had all seen the same oh. exact thing. Oh, my god! And that that thing was pretty much a description of Bigfoot. See, I feel like if I were to see Bigfoot, I'd want to do it. I'd want to see it with a bunch of people so that I like I can be sure of what I saw. Right. But also, I would almost like Joseph D'Andre, I, I would enjoy seeing one when it's at the opposite side of the pond instead of <laughs> me walking into the woods and it being 10 feet in front of me. Yeah, yeah. You should, this summer, you should take up painting and like go old school and go sit by the swamps and just paint swamps and then hopefully Bigfoot will come to you. Okay, well, I definitely wouldn't do this here because this is also the site of like murders and stuff. <laughs> so. Okay, well... You know, you kind of have to sacrifice yourself to find Bigfoot. Am I the bait? Like, the if bait. I bring no one with me, then it's just pointless. I'm bait, and then they eat me, and then that's – it's done. But then on your grave, it could – No one knows. On your gravestone, it could be, she found Bigfoot, but we'll never know. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my gravestone anyway. <laughs> Last known person to see Bigfoot alive. Make everyone wonder about my life. Death by Bigfoot. Death by Bigfoot. Death by Littlefoot. Oh. Okay, this swamp, Hockamock Swamp, has also been the site for ghostly encounters and Thunderbird sightings. So Thunderbirds, for those who don't know, they're essentially like these oversized raptors or pterodactyls. Didn't you do an episode about it? Did I? I feel like you did. Oh, oh, I did! Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It was um, the pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I can't remember what the topic was. I don't know what the topic was either, but they had a photo of... The Thunderbird, yeah. ...what they thought was a Thunderbird, and they they couldn't discredit the photo. But right. that's what was so exciting about that one. Yes. 
okay, so people do know. If you've listened to this podcast in order and have already listened to all the episodes, then you do know what a Thunderbird is. Mm-hmm. So people in this area have been seeing these types of creatures. And in fact, in 1971, a Norton police sergeant named Thomas Downey, he saw this creature, this oversized bird, sitting on the ground as he was driving down the road. And he said it sat about six feet tall. So it just sitting there was like a grown man. And then it expanded its massive wings and it took off into the air. And he was like, uh, what the shit is this? Whoa. But it was right around the time when a bunch of other people had been reporting seeing Thunderbirds. They said that they saw the Mothman. Other people were like, I saw two giant raptors flying together in the sky. So it made sense. And here we are having a police officer himself witness this. Oh, my gosh. I just – everyone always says, why don't we see ghosts of dinosaurs? What if the Thunderbird is actually the ghost of pterodactyl dinosaurs? Of pterodactyls that would be so cool oh my gosh if there's a place to have dinosaur ghosts it's bridgewater massachusetts so here we go yep the bridgewater kidney vein guys oh my god it happens it all happens here (laughs) okay and then in the 1930s the civilian conservation corps which was only a group i think in the 30s and 40s they were working in the swamp and consistently men would come running out of the swamp and out of the woods stating that there were giant snakes which i mean in australia that makes sense but in new england where we have like small garter snakes that doesn't make sense corinne my story has giant snakes too sabrina they're taking over this is this the moment that we realize that giant snakes are actually taking over the world it's possible oh my god this is my worst nightmare it's like snakes on a plane times a billion I'm not that scared of snakes. It's the one thing I – if it was, like, a bunch of giant spiders, I'd lose my mind, but – Okay, yeah. I agree. I agree, but I feel like death by a snake, it would be worse. It would be – it might, yeah, depending on the type of snake and how they kill you, it – yeah. Like, because they could swallow you whole and you could be alive, but just dying from the acid in their stomach. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty damn nasty. That's why you need to bring a knife with you all the time. So that if you do get eaten I, by a snake, because that's the I mean, only I reason. I always have a knife on yeah. me, not to be TMI. Well, then you'll survive because you'll you'll get eaten by a snake and then you just slice your way out. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so there are a bunch of other strange animals here as well. So we don't just have oversized raptors or thunderbirds. We don't have just Bigfoot and we don't have just giant snakes. We also have an oversized yellow cat that a bunch of people saw. They were like, it's similar to a mountain lion, but it's also much larger and longer. It's almost like a Great Dane. And then people at the same time were reporting seeing black panthers in the area as well. So they saw this. They also saw an oversized dog with red eyes. It was the size of a small horse, and it would go out and kill animals. And one resident actually watched in horror as this oversized dog came out of the woods and ripped open the throats of his two horses. So it kind of sounds like a hellhound to me. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. little poltergeisty evil demon creature. Interesting. Other animal mutilations included a butchered cow in the woods in 1998. Another one in 1998 involved a group of sweet little calves that were all butchered. 
And so police were like, this might be because of satanic rituals. That was a big thing that was happening there as well. Mm. It could also be Bigfoot. It could have been a, a hellhound, maybe a giant cat, raptors, aliens. We don't know. Yeah, especially there. It could be any number of things. Yes. Also in Bridgewater <laughs> is Lake Nipponicket, where people claim to see orange-haired orangutan-type creatures on the islands. I feel They've like this is the wilderness, the jungle. And you know what's weird? It's like people live there. There's high schools. There's colleges. There's homes. It's suburbia. What are, all this stuff is happening. Are there high school mascots? That, uh, are they the Bigfoots? Oh, my God. No. Should I look up what they are? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you'd have to be the Bigfoots. Someone has to be the Bigfoots. It has to be a mascot. Someone has to be the Bigfoots. I feel like that's something that would be more Washington State. Okay, the Bridgewater Eagles. Bridgewater College is Hmm. the Bridgewater – oh, wait. No, that's Virginia. You know what? (laughs) Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what they are. They know what they are, though, and I'm pretty sure it's not the the Bigfoots. They should change that. They should. Yes. Okay, so also on Lake Nipponicket. People have seen phantom fires that will disappear oh. as they get closer and then reappear as boaters move away. So people will be like, what's going on? Are they having a party? And oh. they'll boat up and no one will be there and there'll be no evidence that anyone was there, no fire, nothing. And then when they boat away and they look back, suddenly that big bonfire is ablaze again. That's so mystical and spooky and witchy. I love it. Everything is magic over in the Bridgewater oh, Triangle. Oh, that's cool. This area is also home to the largest state forest in Massachusetts. It is the Fall River Freetown State Forest. And this location happens to be the area of some awful murders, the discovery of bodies, and satanic rituals. So it's no surprise that the woods carries such darkness. Jeez. There is a location in the woods called Assinet Ledge. And this is where ghostly figures, or oftentimes they say it's one woman, Though the woman of the ledge has been seen standing at the top of the ledge, leaping off and then oh disappearing gosh. as she falls. And John oh. Brightman is a guy, he works with the New England Paranormal Research Group, and they had gone there and he just basically like lost it and was so, so <laughs> upset because when he went into that area, he heard a voice, a spirit, tell him, jump or leave. Oh my oh gosh yeah so it's like encouraging people to oh that that gives me yeah chills horrible yeah there are also orbs and dancing balls of light that have been reported all throughout this area uh there was a group of kids who witnessed three lights come down a stream and at first they were like oh it must be a boat approaching and these lights are probably from people holding up lanterns But as the lights got closer, they realized that it was not a boat. It was not attached to anything. There were just these three lights. Are they fairies? They were changing colors. And they were skimming the water and floating around each other as if they were playing before turning around and heading back upstream. So they were like these separate intelligent forces. Are they fairies? Do you think they're fairies? (sighs) I think so. Oh, I like that. I mean, although I know fairies are very temperamental creatures, so. Yes. I mean, it depends on which history of fairies you follow. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes they're super evil creatures and manipulative and try to lure you in and take advantage and blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) other times they're just these 
fun little sprites in the woods along the stream. Just playing. So, yeah, they saw that. That was pretty crazy. And plenty of other people have seen these, like, sort of orbish balls, orby balls. Orby balls. Going around. <laughs> orby balls. Also within the Bridgewater Triangle is a cemetery in the town of Rehoboth. It's the village c- cemetery, and there is a little sinister ghost boy running around the gravestones oh. asking people to stay with him in the cemetery. <gasps> oh, don't you oh, want to stay with me forever? Is he lonely? Oh, he's just lonely. He wants company. Well, no. They said that there's something demonic about him, oh. so they don't think that he's actually a little ghost boy. Well, he's still lonely and wants company to take your soul. Well, he's not that lonely because also in the gravestone site cemetery place is a lady in white and also oh. another dark presence. It's a male a guy who's dressed in dark old clothing and he's seen crying and hitting the ground. There are oh. also misty figures seen as well and colonial so- soldiers walking around. This oh place gosh. has got it off. And then... Also in this area were two EVPs caught of a female voice singing. And so they nicknamed her the Singing Lady of Palmer River, which is a river that runs through the town. And you can actually listen to the EVPs, which I did. And one of them, she was singing. I'm going to screw it up. I don't know the tune she was singing, but it was like, la, 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 la. And then the other one was like this kind of old pub tune, presumably. Interesting. So I guess she's she's having a good time. Good for her. There are also some really odd rocks in Bridgewater Triangle, which is a strange thing to say. That there are like haunted rocks, but there are. One of them is prolific rock. It's located in the forest and it shows it basically shows a Native American's face, like looking out of it. So if you go to the side of it, it's like the profile oh. of what looks like a face with almost like wearing a headdress oh is that the native americans well it looks like it but i mean it had it's not like a new thing that rock had been around for a long time and native americans actually had considered this rock as sacred and some people have claimed to see native american ghosts dressed up in warrior clothing and dancing around the rock and they've Ooh. also seen, seen a man sitting on the rock with his legs crossed and his arms reached out. And sometimes people have made, they believe, eye contact with him. Actually, no, the eye contact is at a different walk, rock, <laughs> which is Anawan Rock. Anawan was the chief who had surrendered to colonists during King Philip's War and had been beheaded. Hmm. So people have claimed to see him there. And have also made eye contact with him and seen other Native Americans, presumably the warriors, dancing and building fires in that area. And the swamp area, the Hockamock Swamp, was also a burial site as well. So it makes sense that some of the spirits never left. Right. It's interesting that the rock seems to be such a center focal point of of the happenings. And I wonder if, like, if there is really a curse do you think it's attached to that object? And what would happen if you yeah, removed maybe. it? What if you cool. moved it into Zach Bagan's haunted museum? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's a big these these rocks aren't just rocks; they're like boulders. They're boulders. <laughs> they're pretty big. And I'm not yeah. encouraging moving a sacred, sacred, uh, a sacred, a sacred, a sacrilegious artifact. <laughs> well, it kind of is for the spirits yeah. there. 
so I'm not encouraging yeah. moving it, but I just wonder. I mean, I think plenty goes on with it being there. I, I don't know if it would matter where it is. I think it's true. It's just now haunted. It's kind of a hot spot. Uh, there's another rock called Dighton Rock. It has strange drawings of faces etched into it and odd inscriptions, the origins of which are unknown, but they speculate that many different types of people and cultures contributed to this rock. Oh, that's Like cool. Vikings, North American, Native Americans, uh, Phoenicians, etc. Oh, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So the history. Hello, History Channel. If you're <laughs> listening, if you haven't already done a special. This is the episode we'll this. send to as our sample for all of our reality TV show inquiries. <laughs> okay. Another rock is called Solitude Stone, and it's in West Bridgewater. It is actually located right near where a missing person's body was found. Oh. Some people have nicknamed it Suicide Stone, and it, someone, they don't know who, wrote an inscription into the stone that reads, All ye who in future days walk by Nuncatasset stream, love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed. What else is included in Bridgewater Triangle? What else? Guess. No, I'm not going to make you guess because you're not going to guess this. (laughs) Or maybe you will. Um, Because it is one of the most haunted hospitals ever. (gasps) Taunton State Hospital. And... I don't want to say much more about it because we're going to do another hospital episode and maybe one of us will cover it. But basically, to give you like a little gist, it's just think lunatic asylum, crooked staff, satanic cults, et cetera, et cetera, spirits haunting hospital grounds. Is this the is this the hospital I actually have planned for that episode? Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And I wrote in the notes, I said, Sabrina, you have to do this because I just referenced it in an earlier episode because you always change your mind. <laughs> no. I well, was like, no. Because we did the the nurse episode and when I was researching for that, I found that hospital and I was like, I have to do this again. So I added it to the – Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, please do that. I So I was like, I have to tell her to do it because it, Taunton State Hospital is so fascinating. It's crazy. But I, I didn't – I mean, that's a whole nother episode. I couldn't include a second episode within the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, that is over there. There's also a school, Horbine School. It's located in Rehoboth, and this is within the Triangle. And this school is said to be haunted by people. Well, obviously, by by people. Well, it doesn't have to be obvious. Not a poltergeist, but haunted by a person. Because people who go into the school while it's closed or on the weekends for whatever reason, when all the students are home, they've heard voices coming from down the halls and in rooms. All right. We are not even nearly finished, you guys. Bridgewater Triangle is the most haunted place, I think, ever. It is so many paranormal ongoings there. Oh, my gosh. On Copycat Road, drivers have reported that they have been followed by a truck that is tailgating them really closely, honking, and the driver is waving his arms in anger and frustration, but then the truck suddenly disappears. Oh. Another odd road-related thing is the red-headed hitchhiker on Route 44. Oh, which is very related to the episode we did last week. Yes, the hitchhiker ghost. This is different, though, because oftentimes when we hear about hitchhiking ghosts, it's often women trying to woo men or, like, get people to stop. But instead, this is a guy. He has long red hair and a full beard, and he's seen walking on the side of the road, thumbing it to try to get picked up. And when people stop to pick him up, he either disappears. Sometimes, though, he gets in the car, and then he disappears. 
And some people have even driven through him, which is... Oh, that scares me. Such nightmare fuel. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, also, this is... Here's some more nightmare... Night... Whoa, my God. I'm too excited. My tongue won't... It's going too fast. (laughs) (laughs) You want to make it last? Okay, but this is this is also terrifying. Okay. This is what happened on a road near Hockamock Swamp in 1990 to Raynham resident William Russo. He was working – at the time, he worked a shift that had him get off at midnight. And so when he'd get home, he would grab his dog. Her name was Samantha. She was a Rottweiler Shepherd mix, and she was Aww. about 90 pounds. <laughs> and he would take her for a walk. And usually they would walk to the center of town on the sidewalks, you know, that's safer when it's nighttime and you're taking your dog for a walk. But for some mm-hmm. reason on this night, they took the road that was in the back of hit, like to the back of his house, which is kind of almost more deserted. It had a bunch of telephone wires and um, just like a couple of street streetlights and it was just like overgrown pine trees and it wasn't nearly as populated as the normal route that they go on. So for some reason, they walk on this road and they get about a half mile down before they come to this spot that has a big street light that hits the middle of the road and kind of floods this big, uh, like circular lit area in this otherwise very dark road. And Samantha, his dog, little Sammy, big Sammy, I should say, she's 90 pounds, <laughs> um, is like, we need to bounce. She said that out loud. Yeah, as dogs do. With her words. Yeah. Well, okay, so she was pulling on her leash and like did not want to go any further. And she started shaking and she was so scared and did not want to go any closer to that road with the light. And he was like, what the – William's like, what? what's going on? And pretty soon he realizes because he hears something weird. And so he looks towards the streetlight, which is where Sammy did not want to go. And a small three to four foot creature standing on two legs walked – from the side of the woods into the streetlight and became illuminated in the light so he could see this creature. Oh. <laughs> it had a pot belly and it had hair a few inches long covering its body and its eyes were slightly bigger than a human's eyes would be if you can consider the proportion of the face. He said the face was almost like chipmunk-like. It was a strange sort of... Oh, my God. Display of face. It wasn't that human-like, although its body was kind of like a pot-bellied child with hair. Jeez. Um, and it reached out its hand towards William. But it didn't It didn't move any closer to him. It just reached its hand out. And then in an almost he, – he described it as like a high-pitched wail. It said, E want you here. And it just kept repeating that, E want you here. Oh, it reminds me of E.T. Right? Okay, it's so creepy. So William, with Sammy Girl as his voice of reason, turned away and they walked very, very, very quickly back home. And upon reflecting on this later, he realized that the thing was probably trying to mimic and speak English. And E. Wan Chu here meant we want you come here because it had its hand stretched out trying to get it. Oh, And he went back to the street and to that street light multiple times. And he never, ever, ever saw anything like that again. And I'm sure the whole time Samantha was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, why go but, back? Except for you lost your chance. If you wanted to go with them, you only have one chance when they asked you. Ne- they're never going to well, ask again. 
well, this is probably a great thing that he didn't because it sounds a lot like a puckwudgie, which a, a puckwudgie, a puckwudgie. I've never heard of this. They're not just in this region. They're all over. But puckwudgies are, I mean, it's it's another creature like cryptozoology and right. mythology and everything. What a weird um, name. But this area, a puckwudgie, yeah. I, I should have looked up why like they're called this, but I didn't. That's like a name a child would name it, you know? Like they ask the kid, like, what would you name this? Well, they are kind of childlike because they are small. They're about four feet tall, which it goes in line with the creature that was that William and Sammy saw Samantha saw on the street. Mm. Um, they're magical. They look somewhat human-like in the way that their bodies are built, and they are mischievous. And they're wow. a little darker of beings. They can glow in the dark. They can become visible invisible they emit some sort of a glow and often they lead people off into danger and often lead people to situations where they end up dead so we want you come here means the puck wedgies want you follow us to the stream so we can encourage you to walk in and never walk out what if if you go with them they turn you into one of them it's like What's it called in Spy Kids? The Mr. Floops? All the monsters? Oh, yes. Okay. And then actually there's some footage of what they believe is a woman getting possessed by a Pagwaji because they can kind of take you over and basically put you in this sort of trance where you do follow them and do things that you would never normally do. So in May of 2008, this guy, Chris Belzano, his book was coming out called Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting. And they also were filming a DVD to go alongside of it. And they go over to this area and they're filming where, you know, a lot of activity happens. And one Mm -hmm. of the women who was basically on set that night, like part of the team filming, was named Maureen. And they believe they caught her being possessed by Pukwudgie. She just all of a sudden started acting. And I, I watched the film and, and Jill was like, what the hell is this? It's so <laughs> scary. Um, but basically, she just starts kind of walking backwards away from the group. And then she just quickly rips off of her backpack that she had been wearing. And the guys just run and tackle her. Some of the guys on the group tackle her to try to put her on the ground so she doesn't t- like make a break for it and do something really scary and injure herself. And oh so they gosh. have her on the ground and she is making the most bizarre noises. It's like, <gasps> oh, like, like that. Oh, that's so yeah, scary. Yeah, and so they have her on the ground for a couple minutes and then finally she kind of just like comes out of it and immediately is like, oh, like a normal person, like breathing and like trying to recover from whatever just happened. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. It sounds like rabies. Yeah, yeah, it is. So Pukwudgies are terrifying and it, I mean, it, it very well could be a Pukwudgie, but it also could have been an alien sighting. I've never heard because... of aliens possessing though. No, no, sorry. I mean... I jumped forward. Oh. That that situation was probably a puck wedgie, but Samantha and William coming across this creature that most likely was a puck wedgie could also be maybe an alien because there's been a lot of alien sightings and UFO sightings. I also wonder if go the puck wedgie I wonder if it is an alien creature, you know? If I don't they're know. Connected. They seem almost more fairy like in terms of like the the evil Huh side of fairies and the mischief that they get into interesting and the magic 
Aliens have magic. So on May 10th, 1760 at 10 a.m. So this is daylight hours. There were many, 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 many reports all over the area of this light, this almost fiery sphere coming through Massachusetts. And it was seen down in Bridgewater all the way up to um, some of the like neighborhoods in Boston. It was all over. And it said that this this fiery sphere was moving through the sky and actually blocked the sun and it was casting a shadow down on the land as it was moving. And on Halloween 1908, another UFO sighting was documented and reported in local newspapers. And in 1968, five people saw a floating light among the trees in Rehoboth and the reportings never, ever stopped. These are just some examples. There are frequent reports of hovering lights floating close to the ground. There's a, actually a video I watched online. There's this one guy who would always see these lights, and finally he had his camera on him at one point, mm-hmm. and he caught it on camera. And you can see this, like, large ball of light way in the future that's just at a standstill, and it's kind of changing colors. You and have then to you can send also this to me. Much... Okay, yeah, I'll have to find it. But so he... There's this large light that's changing colors, and then there are these smaller, much smaller lights that are moving to and from, like zigzagging to and from this larger light. So it's almost like this was the main craft, and these little tiny crafts were shooting off from it and going and, you know, exploring and coming what? back with any sort of intelligence. So very creepy. Oh my, and it's that's all on crazy. film. And then in 1994, a Bridgewater police officer saw a UFO that was shaped. <sighs> okay, I'm going <laughs> to describe the shape. It's it's like, um, you know, when you get a gingerbread making kit and it's pre-made and the very front sheet of your house is like a square, but there's the triangle tip yeah. for your slanted roof. Uh-huh. It was like that, huh. like a square with the triangle tip on the top. And he saw this and it had these flashing red and white lights at the bottom and he thought he was a little crazy. But then <laughs> other people started reporting and drawing out the exact same thing. Weird. So there's so many UFO sightings. There's everything. There's everything. So this is, I mean, I'm on page eight right now and I could have kept going, but I, I mean, I can't because we don't have that much time. Wow. In an episode, but this is the Bridgewater Triangle, and everyone should go watch the documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle. Everyone should look it up. Everyone should look into Pukwudgies, Bigfoot, etc. It is insane. And I didn't even touch on any of the murders or satanic ritual stuff, really. I mean, it's so it's if I were an alien, it would be a place I'd want to go investigate because it's so there's so much happening. But then it's also like, did aliens bring these creatures or are aliens somewhat responsible for things like this? What is this? Like, why all there? You know, like, why is that such a hot spot for cryptids and ghosts? And there's no answer. But there is no answer. It's just so fantastic. Maybe there's a couple portals to other dimensions and there's a whole other earth essentially a whole nother planet that has all of these creatures where these creatures are normal and they cohabitate together just as humans and elephants and ants do right but we're just catching a little glimpse because it's only really a crossed over in this one section for the most part that's just a wild theory are, can people go camping in areas like that like I, I mean i wouldn't i feel like i never would but i imagine people who go camping have crazy stories well, I'm sure. I mean, there's a state park. There's a people go fishing and hunting, and it it spans such a massive area that there are 
there are children playing in the streets all the time in this area. Like, people live there. Wow. It's, there are a lot, a lot of towns that are included, although it basically stemmed from Bridgewater, the town of Bridgewater. Right. As people began investigating more reports, they started expanding out, and that's when the triangle was created. And then since then, it's just become further, it's reached out further and further. But it's become a kidney mostly bean. Mostly into the kidney bean. I wonder how, like, it seems like it's been spreading, and I wonder will it continue to spread, and how far will it reach, and at what yeah. point will it affect our society? I'm not sure if it's as much spreading. As it is, people are connecting the dots and realizing mm. that this that a report of a crazy bear that lifted the back of a police cruiser is not actually a bear and actually a Bigfoot and making that connection. <laughs> Interesting. You know? Yeah. But I mean, if if the Bigfoots are um, having families and offspring, at one point, they're going to have to expand because that area is not going to be big enough for them. Right. They have to go find their own home. Yeah. They have to fly, fly out of the nest. Fly, fly away, Bigfoots. Fly away. Don't take my money. <laughs> Become independent. Let your mother be. I need to watch that documentary. Yeah, you should. It's really good. And then very you, informative. This summer you will do your due diligence and go hunting. Searching. Yeah, definitely no hunting. Yeah, sorry. I come in peace. Definitely yeah. It's just like it's the same thing that like when people say ghost hunting and that's not what they mean because they're not actually hunting anything. They're searching. They're just searching for evidence, searching yeah. for any sort of proof. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have no idea what you chose. I never looked at the uh, our shared Excel sheet. It's called Helltown. Oh, I was like, what? I can't. I can't understand <laughs> you. I was trying to say it in a way where I imagined fire burning up while I spoke it, but I realized that you can't do that in in tone of voice. You kind of need the effects. Also, I just want to take a minute to give a massive shout out to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for editing this episode because he crushed it and made my hell down sound way cooler and exactly the way I imagined it to sound in my head. Uh, thank you and you rock. Okay, back to Helltown. Anyway. <laughs> Aptly given the name Helltown, it is a small subset of Summit County, Ohio, and it is haunted AF. And I had never heard of it until I did research on it, but I was like, okay, any town named Helltown is worth my time. (laughs) (laughs) It's where my heart belongs. Anyway, it's a dark, foreboding place where ghosts, cults, serial killers, and cryptids lurk. And the entire town is said to have been cursed and people are warned to stay far, far away. So Helltown actually isn't on any maps, but it's a name given to this kind of wider area. Area It's like Boston Township, Boston Village, parts of Sagamore Hills and Northfield Center Townships. And like collectively, that's known as Boston Mills. And then given the name Helltown because basically you can access hell from this town. Oh, So it's a very straightforward name. So Boston Mills is the oldest village in Summit County. It was settled in 1806. And as in the name Boston Mills, it had a bunch of mills in the town. And the first one was built in 1820s. And over time, a canal and a railroad station was were built. And so more and more people were coming to this area and building mills and working. And the most notable mill was a paper mill. But in 
the 1970s, people were growing, starting to grow concerned about deforestation and how many trees are being used for human yeah. progress. So, also, paper mills are so stinky. They used to have one in Gorham, New Hampshire, that really? we would drive through. Oh, the smell. It was bad. Oh, I've never been to one. Yeah, it wasn't good. Interesting. The whole town stank. Why is it? I mean, I don't know much about the process of making paper, so what do I know? Yeah, I don't know. Just the byproducts, whatever chemicals they used Ugh. was that was just pumping out into the air. It was just nastiness. Yikes. Well, so because of this, uh, in 1974, President Gerald Ford signed legislation that enabled national park services to preserve land and forests. And so with this legislation, the township of Boston became a national recreation area, which Basically, it meant that the government was like, okay, like we're going to preserve this land. And so anyone who lives here, sorry, bye-bye. And they bought out all their homes. And like people would try to bargain for more money, but it was like essentially it's like no matter what you do, you're getting kicked out of your home. So it doesn't matter. Just leave. And Mm -hmm. so people basically up and left and it became a really post-apocalyptic looking town because people left behind a lot of their valuables. They didn't have much time. And then – the government just like started burning houses down to – I think it was like partially for their training fire departments. But then they also were just like burning them down to clear them out of the way because it was becoming a national park. And so they were like half – there were these houses that were half burnt down and next to houses that were like boarded up. And then there were like just cars wow. sitting there. So yeah, it was an eerie looking town. And – I'm pretty sure the government started to get behind on – they just like – they so many people were displaced that like the government was like, oh, like there are too many houses and too many buildings and structures for us to, to physically remove that, you know, we'll just leave them here. So they kicked all these people out and then left all their houses, which is just like sad and come on. Yeah. And so basically this town is completely empty and scrawled across the wall of a vacated house were the words, now we know how the Indians felt. Oh, I mean, that's true. It's very true. Yeah. And so it looked like the as if the entire town had just up and vanished overnight. So with this came the numerous legends of Helltown. And people have reported widespread violence, murder, stalking, wild animal attacks, massive giant snakes, satanic worship, other supernatural phenomenon. And there have been multiple reports filed with local police who have decided it's just best to warn people to stay away. And so they have put up all these government signs all over the buildings. It's like keep out private property because it's owned by the national parks. And it just overall like really eerie. And people obviously when you see a sign like that, you go in rather than stay away. And there's a long list of experiences and stories. And I'll just read the list first. There's a government conspiracy. There's a haunted cemetery. There's a house in the woods, the haunted school bus, the satanic church, the haunted hearse, the end of the world, the highway to hell, the slaughterhouse, the funeral home, children of the corn, there are animal mutations, there are figures in the woods watching you, there's satanic activity, and a crybaby bridge. Okay, I am so here for this. (laughs) I know, there's so much. (laughs) If you look at photos, it's it's really eerie. And there's also a whole government conspiracy, which I'll get to at the end because it's... Wait, so do people live there now? No, so there's a certain area that's cordoned off, but there are people that live kind of 
around the area. Okay, so it wasn't completely abandoned from people getting no, kicked out. No, but there there is a good amount of area that is abandoned. Mm-hmm. Okay, so atop a cliff, there is one of the creepiest places in Helltown. It's the cemetery. And the cemetery is haunted by a ghost that when you go into the cemetery, you'll see this man sitting on a bench, just sitting there and staring out into the void. And okay. numerous people have reported seeing this ghost, but almost everyone who sees it feels like there's something about the way that the ghost is that like you almost can't, while you can see it there and you can see what it looks like, you're, it doesn't kind of fully process through your brain. So when you try to then recall what the thing looked like, you're not able to. All you know is that you saw a ghost staring off. Ooh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no idea. There's no way. Like, I I feel like that's the only way to describe it, but I don't know what the reason for that would be. Yeah, I don't know either. It reminds me of the the forest that I had done a while ago, the Haobachu forest, mm-hmm. or however you say it, where it's like people can remember that something happened, but they don't know what. Right. They can't like, you know, fully And then their memory gets the reflooded when they enter the forest again, but like wiped <sighs> when they leave. Yeah. So they can't, they just know something's off, but they don't quite know the full story they of what happened to them. Quite put their finger on it. Right. Yeah. So in addition to the staring ghost, the trees in the cemetery move which could be the wind, but people say like the the trunks move too and like they're actually like thick old trees and they they move. And there's this legend that it's said to be the work of a satanic cult who made the trees move in order to protect the cult's secrets, which doesn't quite make sense to me because I feel like trees hmm. moving makes me think of whispers and whispers makes me think of secrets. So like, like it makes me think that the trees are like whispering to each other and telling each other secrets, you know? I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. Maybe it's just a weird paranormal thing similar to your forest where the trees have this weird power. I don't know. Um, I don't know either. That's the (laughs) thing. We just don't know. We just don't know. This Uh, is a speculation podcast. It really is. In the woods, there's an abandoned house where a light always appears on in the upstairs window, but the power is shut to the entire area. So like, why is this light on? And there's this, I was reading this article about, about how like, Someone was trying to disprove basically everything in Helltown. And they were saying, that building is a hostel for young travelers. But then it's like, okay, well, why is it in an area where the roads are blocked off? It's in the middle of the woods with very little road access. And that it just doesn't make sense. And like the windows and stuff are boarded up. It's just that one window that has light in it. So I think it's definitely not a hostel. And if it is, it's a murder hostel. And no one ever comes out. (laughs) Scary. It is scary. Not far from this abandoned murder hostel, hostel, there's an empty abandoned school bus. Or, well, there was. It eventually was moved. But people who saw the bus would see spirits of children banging on the windows calling out for help. Sometimes people would just hear child's laughter. And these children (laughs) – it's so – it's super eerie because the children apparently are the spirits of children who were murdered on the bus by – there are two versions of the story. There's one where it was just like a one crazy man who did it. But then there's another version where it was a group of men who escaped from a an asylum and killed all these children on the bus. And in the back of the bus, people would see a man smoking a cigarette. And so 
maybe that's the driver of the bus who also was killed with these kids. And maybe he was like, oh, running to yeah. the back to try to open the uh, fire escape to try to get them all out, but it was too late. Oh my God. How can you imagine being in that situation? No, no. <sighs> I feel like every time I go on um, the one of the scariest haunted hayrides I've done, or one of those mazes, I guess, it had a school bus and there were people hiding underneath the seats and like kind of grabbing at your ankles. And then like a guy came in through the, the vent on top of the bus and it's just like you're trapped. There's no way to get out. Yeah. That's so scary to think about. I always think about those things when I'm in enclosed spaces yeah. or like even I was telling my roommate today that when I am driving and there's an overpass above me and I'm like three cars back and totally underneath it, I always think like, okay, well, if the overpass started to crumble and yep. I had enough time and didn't die immediately, do I drive? Do I get out? Like, what do I do? I'm always thinking of escape routes. I so think about that all the time. I can imagine how terrifying that would be. Yeah. The overpass thing really gets me. I like try not yeah. to be under them. I know. Me too. I get really nervous. Yeah. Especially in LA when there's earthquakes and it's those overpasses crumble not often, but they, right. they do in earthquakes. It happens all the time. I mean, I was going to say all the time. I mean, not all the time, but enough that you do hear it on the news and people do yeah. die from bridges yeah. collapsing, overpasses collapsing. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay. So basically – the spirits on the bus became a, a really popular sensation in Helltown. So people who would kind of go into the woods to try and find it were kind of getting into trouble. So the government was like, okay, we, we need to get rid of this bus because it's causing trouble. And every time they tried to remove it, people would get really badly injured. And as we know, similar to like when people try to do construction for buildings, like haunted buildings, the ghosts aren't fans of it. So it's believed that the children didn't want the bus to leave or like this was their resting place. Like don't move it. Eventually the government was like, we have – like there were multiple times where we're like, okay, we're giving up and we're not going to do this anymore because it's just like <laughs> too many people are getting injured or going to the hospital. And eventually they were like, okay, let's just try one more time. And they finally removed the bus without injury. Wow. Wow. Okay. We'll talk about a cursed location. I know. Yeah. Then there are these two churches within Helltown that are believed to be connected to satanic cults. They're, the two churches are Boston Community and then the Mother of Sorrows. And it's said that the churches actually are never actually open for mass. I I think these are still active churches in the surrounding area. So they're not part of like the abandoned part of the town. But it's said that devil worshipers own the churches and it's not really clear which church they're talking about because the the stories kind of – maybe they're both haunted, but they're, the stories kind of fit both of them, and then some of them fit them individually, so no one really knows which one it is. But mm -hmm. people have seen an evil man who lives in the basement of the church and then stands outside at night and guards it to keep away outsiders. And the Mother of Sorrows Church has upside-down crosses all over it. And apparently is never open for mass except for at midnight. And like oh, at midnight. There's something about an upside down cross that already just irks me the wrong way. Yeah. Although I, I was reading about it and apparently it's like one of the saints. It's a symbol of the saint because he, you know how Jesus was hung on the cross. He mm -hmm. then was hung on a cross as well, but he felt like he didn't want to die the same way that Jesus did. So he had them turn his cross upside down. Okay, but at the same time then, if we look back to all of these demonic possession yeah. cases where people are possessed or 
an exorcism needs to be done because there's a poltergeist in someone's house, oftentimes crosses, the poltergeist will flip the crosses upside down in the home. Totally. Yeah. It's creepy. And also the fact that they're doing church or weird mass at midnight is strange. And people hear like worshiping noises at midnight, like the sounds Mm -hmm. of people coming together and chanting, which is just creepy and off-putting. And the fact that like people don't ever see other people going into mass at any other time of day, it's weird. It's creepy. It's very creepy. It reminds me of in in uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, they go into like the middle of the woods and have their black mass. Wait, which state is this in again? This is Ohio. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. It's a little difficult to send you to Ohio, but I was like, you're sending me to Bridgewater Triangle. Why don't we send you to Ohio and you stake out this church and see what's going on? I can't go alone. Bring Nick. Make him wear his 70s outfit that he wore last night. That was <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, my pants. He wore my pants and looked better in them so now I can never wear my pants again. Because <laughs> everyone would be like, oh, those are Nick's pants. And I'd be like, they were mine. They were first mine. <laughs> He did. He looked great. Uh, see, you guys are becoming more of one person. <laughs> We're becoming one. Oh, God. That's You're scary. sharing clothes. You're starting to look like each other. Uh, back okay. to Helltown. So like I said, many of the roads are blocked with road closed signs, but obviously people – it's like putting a cookie in front of the cookie monster. Like people are obviously going to – they're going to eat the cookie. Um, and people who have gone past the road closed sign have seen a creepy man who lives in an abandoned house and he drives a hearse. And if you get too close to his house, he will get in his hearse and chase you to the end of the road. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. And it's like death is coming for you. Right. And so people who have had experiences with this, this man in the hearse have like sprinted as fast as they can. Obviously, like a guy in a car is coming at you and these people like will sprint and then all of a sudden they'll look back and the car has vanished. And then there's another story of the car driving down the road. And then when it reached the end, not the, not where the road closed sign was, but at the other end, which is like kind of becomes very marshy and overgrown and, and full of branches and grass and stuff. The car will just kind of get close to that end and just completely disappear. And mm-hmm. people call that the end of the world. Ooh. And people say, evil awaits those who travel down this road at night. It's said to be possessed and that there have been numerous fatal car crashes on it. If you're driving in a car on this road, which is most unlikely because the the roadblock sign is like, it's like one of those unmovable gates. So it's Mm -hmm. not likely that a car can get in there, but it's, it's believed that like before it was blocked, people would drive down there to like get a look at the creepy abandoned buildings and all of a sudden an unseen force would take control of the car and then force them to crash yikes others reported before the road was blocked sign road blocked or road closed sign was up people reported seeing hooded figures emerge from the end of the road and as you would drive closer they would lock hands and surround your car like trapping (laughs) you there That is scary. So scary. And no one knows who they are because they come out of nowhere and they're wearing these black hoods. You can't really see their face. So like, are they Satanists? Are they ghosts? Are they humans with superpowers? No one really knows. And it's eerie and creepy. And like almost everyone who's been on this 
part of the road has had the worst, scariest experiences, whether it's being chased by a car, feeling a force like crashing your car or hooded figures coming out and surrounding you. It's scary. Well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, you don't. And then there's another road that there, the story is, again, like some people think it's the same road as the end of the world, but this is called the highway to hell. And there's a story of a serial killer who waits with an axe and jumps out in front of passing cars and murders them. But this story came out of an unsolved missing persons case. So like there was a woman driving on a stretch of road and no one's ever found her again. Like people knew that she was driving in that direction and uh, no one's found her car or her. So like, you know, she could have just disappeared, but people have, people think that she was murdered on that stretch of road and that no one's found the man who did it. Or what if a portal just opened up? There are all those stories of people witnessing other people just disappear into like thin air. It's like leftovers. I don't know what that is. The leftovers. Oh, it's so good. It's by the same guy who uh, made or created Lost. It was on HBO. It's so good. I also haven't watched Lost. I like leftovers better. It's just like a, a too very... many shows, not enough time. Yeah, that's true. I can hardly get through my book club book in time. <laughs> anyway, yeah, maybe she did disappear. I don't know, but I don't want to find out what happens when you go onto the highway of hell because that sounds scary. Yes. Uh, among the abandoned buildings, there's the slaughterhouse, or uh, some people call it the funeral house, because it's not clear what the building actually was back in the day, but it's believed to have been a slaughterhouse where people brought their livestock to be murdered for food purpose, eating purposes. And it sits right next to the Boston cemetery. And when people see it or walk by it, they see these weird, pale, ghostly looking faces in the windows. And they're kind of staring out at you, but they don't quite look like ghosts. Like they look too human, like, but like really sickly humans. Ooh. And it's like children, men, women, like all ages. And and it it's extremely off-putting and people like will see it and feel the urge to just run. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like this it's crazy. There's so many stories and like there's so many videos on YouTube of people walking through Helltown and it, I mean, if you guys have time like look it up. It's so eerie. There's also uh do you remember the movie Children of the Corn? Oh, yes. So, Oh, it, yes. Yeah, which is based on a Stephen King short story. But people mm-hmm. believe Stephen King was inspired by Helltown by, by the, like to <laughs> create that story, which I'll have to mm-hmm. ask him when I meet him, which I intend to do in life. Just um, like when Zac Efron asks to meet you. Correct. Stephen King will also <laughs> ask to meet me. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Um, Your new pen pal. <laughs> I would love that. But the the reason people think he was inspired by Helltown is because as people are walking through the area, they will feel like someone's watching them from the overgrown areas. And then they'll look and they'll see like the face of a child who will then look at you, giggle, and then sprint away. And even if you don't see something, it's like hearing whispers and constantly feeling like you're being watched in that area, which is just so eerie and scary. And Helltown also has a crybaby bridge, which is a bridge the the term cryberry crybaby bridge is kind of all over the place they have them mm-hmm. they exist everywhere but the idea is like a child who's died there and you can ha- communicate with them in a way 
But so legend has it that a child was thrown off the bridge and into the Cuyahoga River, which is right below the bridge, and the child died. And so people will go to the bridge, and it said if you park your car, completely turn it off, and put your keys in your pocket, leave the car, lock the car, and you have to walk away. And it says for a while, which I don't know what measurement of time that is. But anyway, you walk away from the bridge, leaving your car parked and off. And when you come back, your car will be mysteriously running, but the doors will still be locked. And all over your car, there will be tiny handprints and footprints. (laughs) Yeah. And so then the kicker, there's a government conspiracy going on. Or so people believe because people are so concerned. Like they're like, what? so they kicked all these people out. They made it a national park. And yet now like all these roads are closed and there are these no trespassing signs and they like stopped burning the buildings down. Like why? Like there's something they're not telling us. Like why is it so important that people aren't allowed into this area if it's a national park? And why was everyone pushed out? Like everyone was like pushed out in a matter of a few days if not a week and like it was just like it happened so quickly like why was it such a rush so people believe that the government spilled deadly chemicals in the area or chemicals that have caused bizarre mutations to residents and people who were affected by it and so they they basically like they saw the way that these things the chemicals affected people and they were like oh my gosh like we need to move everyone else before they're affected by this chemical spill but we can't admit to the fact that we had a chemical spill so like let's just make this a national park and say hey you guys all have to leave and the they believe that the people who are already affected by the spilled chemicals and who were mutated are forced to now live in this like abandoned area of Helltown and so like the faces in the windows are actually sick mutated people affected by this, this is the hills have eyes yeah yeah it's also like that podcast limetown about the, like government testing facility where everyone goes missing mm-hmm. it, it would make sense it explains the, the block roads the boarded up homes the light coming from the third floor window people driving their cars faces peering out of the slaughterhouse and it would also explain the peninsula python which what in the heck is that is this the snake that will eat us yes yes the peninsula python lives in the surrounding woods and is said to periodically come out to feast upon human prey and so they believe that this snake it was a normal snake and then when the chemical spill happened it grew to twice its size and it's like 30 feet long and and so people will find like animals completely just like just mutilated and killed in ways that like aren't from natural causes whatsoever and people believe it's because the peninsula python is killing them and people have said that the peninsula python has a thirst for human flesh and that over time the animals aren't going to be enough and it's going to come into the surrounding towns and attack humans oh hell no but you know what they believe this and then they have the city in or surrounding that area has a holiday called Python Day in honor of this human eating snake. And it's every year on July 21st. And they have like, they have a whole celebration for it. And like, they, um, and they have this like giant snake that people, you know, like the one where people like are inside the th- snake and it just goes through the yeah, town. Yeah. Like in the, the Chinese. Yeah. 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 And they celebrate the Python, 
Peninsula Python. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's Helltown. Really scary. That is Helltown. Dude, who lives in Helltown? No, uh, who Guys. knows? Maybe watermelon heads. What, uh, are, what are they called? Melon the heads? Melon heads. <laughs> melon heads. Watermelon heads. That's just my version when I was drawing them. I drew one with a watermelon head. Cantaloupe heads. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Okay. <laughs> I feel better about where I live, even though I'm pretty close to the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah, yeah. I feel pretty safe where I am. Yeah, I'd rather be I'd rather be here than in Helltown. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. But I feel oh, like it'd man. be interesting to walk through during the day, you know? When it's daylight? I mean, yeah. does that stop a giant python from eating you? I don't think so. I don't know. If I if I go and I never come back, it's because of the python. The python, the python or maybe you just join the cult that goes into the <laughs> church at midnight. Possible. Yeah, find me at the church. All right. Well, this was terrifying. <laughs> so I guess I guess we did a, a spotlight on towns that we don't wish to live in. Correct. <laughs> That's basically the title of the episode. Perhaps. Perhaps towns that scare us. <laughs> because but they're we also believe- fascinating. Yeah, they're so fascinating. I mean, I'm for sure going to go drive around the Bridgewater Triangle in the summer. Yeah. I love and go it. up to Portland and go to that museum. I I love – I just had this image of my in my mind of you, like, driving with your windows down in your, like, summer dress. And then, you know, it's like a camera angles on Corinne. And she's smiling. She's singing. And then the camera angles to the passenger seat where Bigfoot is sitting and singing with Corinne. And yeah, and he's got a bag of birdseed and he's throwing it out the window yeah. and the pterodactyls and thunderbirds are swooping down, <laughs> munching. Everyone's having a good time. In the in the back seat, we have a little a uh, child's booster seat and that's where go. the little foot. puck wedgies are. Oh, oh I like puck wedgies. Oh, they're scary, but Yeah. And then and all we have of a, a sudden, trailer and it's it's carrying a, a, a injured UFO. Or all of a sudden you guys are like X rayed up to the to your parent mothership and then Bye-bye. Oh, man, what a life. <laughs> so we obviously have ghost stories of people who live in their own haunted towns. I'm excited because mine is about Bridgewater. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. This is from Megan. She actually is friends with someone I went to grad school with, this girl, Jack, and she listens to the podcast. So she oh. wrote in a, long, a while ago, but... This is, it's the perfect one to read for this episode. Amazing. Hi, ladies. Just started listening a few weeks ago and loving it. My coworker recommended it. That's Jack. My coworker recommended it and knows you from college. (laughs) Well, grad school. (laughs) Anyway, it's been great. So this is a quick one and not overly terrifying. Well, (laughs) kind of scary still. I grew up in Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. Massachusetts kids grew up reading all of the surrounding ghost stories, and most of us are familiar with the red-headed hitchhiker on Route 44 along the Taunton-Rehoboth line. It's been said that he will sometimes appear in the backseat of cars after driving through him or will come over the radio accompanied by a smoky odor. A few months ago, September or October, it was a cartoonishly, is that even a word, foggy night. I remember my fiance's brother mentioning that it was hard to drive 
because it was so foggy out. My fiance and I left to go do some errands and the fog seemed to be getting worse. We were genuinely worried that we'd get in a car accident because of the low visibility and mm. we turned on to Route 44 and were having a lighthearted conversation when suddenly there was a man stepping off of the sidewalk into the road in front of us. Ooh. Chris swerved and we jumped and laughed in relief for a second <sighs> before we turned to each other and simultaneously realized that the guy had his thumb up had a red plaid flannel shirt on and was walking in the middle of the road, which is the red-headed hitchhiker's M.O. Oh, We both gosh. ended up agreeing it was probably someone just messing with people and took advantage of the severe, severely foggy night. Who sees people hitchhiking in Taunton anymore? I never have. <laughs> Sometimes I do think maybe we caught a glimpse of him, though. There were no weird or creepy feelings surrounding the incident, just the initial scaring because we thought we were about to hit someone. Uh, that's terrifying. Uh, P.S. Chris and I have some background with the story of this ghost. When we first started dating, I worked at a pizza place on Route 44 in Rehoboth. Chris lived further down 44 and was picking me up one night. When we got in the car, he started freaking out and told me that he drove through someone and had to stop because he thought he hit them. And I got very excited and I told him he had an encounter with the ghost of 44. Oh my God, that's so scary. I know. And this is like when they first started dating and he's all shaken up and she's like, yes, this is the ghost. Uh, my brother had known a couple that had an encounter with him a few years ago, and my boyfriend didn't realize how obsessed with ghosts and spirits I was. <laughs> my sister practices mediumship, and my family is into this stuff. Chris started backtracking by saying that he must have fallen asleep or daydreamed the incident, but I thought it was his cynical skepticism that was getting to him. For years, I would bring it up and say, oh, but Chris denies that it happened now. About a year ago, he admitted to me that he was actually just messing with me at the time and he didn't realize how excited I'd get and how constantly I'd bring it up and how oh I'd bring God. it up constantly. He felt really bad and thought it was hilarious. Then we maybe kind of encountered him ourselves and now we don't know what to think. Oh. Thanks for filling my commute from the South Shore to Boston every week, Megan. Interesting. So interesting. What? What? An interesting way. So in the beginning, they start dating. He makes a joke about it, realizes she's super into it, and it becomes sort of like a thing in their relationship. And then mm -hmm. they themselves together witness, most likely, the redheaded hitchhiker on a very foggy night. I mean, it's kind of like you asked for it. If you joke about it, you're putting it out into the universe. I know. I, and it sounds like Chris doesn't believe in it, but obviously Megan does. And so I'm glad that it happened to them together where he couldn't deny it because right. she was also there yeah. to see it. Wow. That's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. She grew up hearing about it and then got to experience it herself. Oh, she probably was so excited. I'd be so terrified if you like thought you were going to hit a man and he jumped out in front of your car. <laughs> I like how she described that they laughed. Yeah, well, I would not I'm be sure laughing. it was probably one of those things like you pull over and you laugh just from fear and, it, I guess, adrenaline. Yeah. Like, holy shit, did that just seriously happen? Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Okay. Wow. I have a story from Meredith who her subject line is, I grew up in a haunted amusement park. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. She says, hi, ladies. First off. I love the podcast. I love knowing that I'm not the only one who grew up in a haunted space and that my past experiences are valid. 
I'm catching up on the podcast and just recently finished the amusement park episode. I have to agree with Corinne on this one. Rides are not for me. I'm definitely a funnel cake gal too. Anyway, <laughs> on to my story or stories. I grew up in the small town of Ruscombe, why? Ruscombe Manor, Pennsylvania, down a long dirt driveway. At the end of this driveway stood five houses, all owned by the same landlord. We rented the last house, which happened to be the furthest in the woods. Beside our house was this old decaying shed, which my parents always suggested we did not go near to go near. It always gave off unsafe vibes anyway, and being the very spirit-sensitive taught that I was and am, dared not to go near it anyway. One night, my older sister was babysitting me and my brothers, and she decided that it would be a brilliant idea to go ghost hunting. I was probably five at the time. My brothers are twins, a year older than me, and my sister is eight years older than us. We walked to the decaying shed, and my sister said, Okay, let me do all the talking. So my brothers and I stood there, mostly in silent horror, trying to obey our sister, but scared out of our minds. We walk into the shed, and my sister asks out loud, Is anyone here who would like to communicate? Silence. Are there any spirits here? Silence. I don't. I really don't know what she was expecting to happen, but she kept asking questions, and nothing happened. Until, until one of the twins spoke. He asked, Do you like us being here? And not even three seconds after he asked this, a piece of wood, probably the size of a five-year-old me, fell from the decaying ceiling onto the ground, barely missing my sister. Obviously scaring us, we all ran back to the house. And to this day, I'm not sure if it was paranormal or just good timing, but we never went back into the shed. And now this is where it gets super interesting. There was thick woods all around the house and all through the trees. We could make out buildings decaying from time and weather and a rock wall crumbling away. We never went into these woods, mostly because I'm deathly allergic, allergic to poison ivy. I always thought it was strange that there was all this, these decaying buildings, but I never really asked much about it until I was around 13. I was Googling the history of my town because I was bored one day. Nothing ever happens there, so I thought I wouldn't find anything interesting until I stumbled upon this webpage, Dark in the Park. So, long murderous story short, my house stood on the grounds of an abandoned amusement park. The decaying buildings were once rides and attractions. The shed near my house simply an old maintenance shed. It closed in the 50s and stood vacant for years until my landlord bought the land and built the houses. And this is where the murderous part of the story comes in. On August 13th of 1969, two teens, Marilyn H. Sheckler, 18, Glenn W. Eckert, 20, were murdered in the woods surrounding the park by four members of the Pagan Motorcycle Gang. They were kidnapped from a nearby Lover's Lane-esque spot when they were on a date and brought into the woods where my childhood home stands. This is where Sheckler was... Sorry, this is a trigger warning for people. Okay. Um... This is where Sheckler was gang-raped by all four men while they forced Eckert to watch. They then beat Sheckler to death and shot Eckert to death. On October 23rd of 1969, the police finally found the bodies of the teens in the woods around the park after an exhaustive search. The case went to trial in 1970, and and two of the bikers, Leroy S. Stoltzfus Jr., 21, and Robert Martin... Nolik, 22, were convicted of murdering the teens during two separate trials. Stoltzfus and Martin Nolik both received life life sentences in separate state prisons. The other two bikers were not convicted due to the fact that they gave evidence against the other two bikers. Ugh, I hate that. I was living on the very land that two teenagers were brutally murdered. Now this explains my next story. I was 10. I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I shared a room with my older sister and we slept in bunk beds. She has the top bunk and I had the bottom. 
The moment I woke up, I felt like someone was staring at me. Assuming that it was my sister, I said, Melissa, what do you want? In which she did not respond. I got out of my bed and looked up at the top bunk and she was fast asleep. So it couldn't have been her staring at me. So I go back to bed and I'm not sure how long after the first wake up happened, but I woke up again to see a young woman in my doorway. She was wearing bell bottom pants and a flowy black shirt with flowers on it. She had a short black bob haircut and she was just staring at me. She then said, stay safe, but her lips did not move. I just heard it in my head. I put my head under the covers and started reciting the Lord's prayer. And after the prayer was done, I looked back at my doorway and she was not there. When I was 13, I found out about the murders. I saw a picture of Sheckler, and I knew she was the woman I saw in my doorway three years prior. She was watching over the girl's room and making sure we said, stay from the evil men out there. And then she attached a photo of Sheckler and said, I have many other stories about growing up in a haunted abandoned amusement park, but I've taken up a lot of your time already. Thank you for reading. See you on the other side, Meredith. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Well, this is equal parts terrifying and horrifying. And yeah. it's just sad. It's it's horrible. Yeah, what happened? And it's sad because her spirit is still I mean, it's she hasn't found peace and I like the idea that she's watching over the girls in that area, but it's still like it's it's horrific and and sad and Yeah. But at the same time, I I like to think that she did find peace because I mean, when people get when people are visited by their relatives it doesn't mean that their relatives didn't move on it just means that they came down to visit so perhaps when someone who reminds her of herself finds themselves in that sort of area she just takes a moment to go back and give them sort of like a warning that's true i I like that i like that idea wow it's a, a nicer way to think of things yeah i mean aside from the horrible murders and the spirits i wonder I mean, I'm so curious what else happens in the abandoned amusement park, you know, mm-hmm. like, because we did that whole episode where there was like cr- so many creepy things going on. It's so weird to I think know. that that's like your backyard. I know. It's so cool, though. I know. It's wild. So crazy. Oh, man. If you're from a these. creepy haunted town or if you have scary ghost stories, please email them to us. We love this stuff. If you've seen Bigfoot, if you've been to Bridgewater Triangle, tell us. Tell us. Tell us We're everything. Dying to know. Yes, we are. Our email is two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And we have Facebook and social media. If you guys want to follow us and see all the photos and stuff we post, I'm gonna make Corinne send me that video of the UFO. And so then we can post it on Facebook on our Facebook group so you can watch it too. Well, it, yeah, if I can find it, it might actually be a part of the documentary. <laughs> well then we'll post a link to the documentary. <laughs> We also have multiple ways to support us. You can support us by joining our Patreon and pledging a donation, whether that be once or monthly. Mm -hmm. You can also buy merchandise that is listed on our website. And you can also, this one is huge, you can rate and review us on iTunes because that keeps us in the top charts. It helps other people find us. And another way to help other people find us is uh, just tell everyone, tell everyone. Tell everyone. And And we we will... will See you on the other side.